Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. My name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put them in the driver's seat. On today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Matthew Van Fossen. He is the CEO of Absolute Mortgage Corporation and Mortgage Automation Technologies. Man, I'm excited to chat with you. I know we were going to be talking a little bit about the NAR lawsuit. We have some other cool things to talk about. But before we get into all of that stuff, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Luke. Awesome to be on. Appreciate you bringing me on the show. Excited to do some deep dive into some of these issues that are going to affect loan officers. Awesome, man. Before we get into NAR and some of the lawsuit and all these things that are kind of happening in this current environment, give us a little background on who you are, what got you into this crazy industry, and start there. Well, we can't go through the full mortgage origin stories because, you know, everybody's <laughs> got one of those. But yeah, I was a yeah. veteran, got in 2002 to 2003, started as a loan officer, opened up a broker shop, then converted it in 08 to an independent mortgage banker, been a lifer in the mortgage industry, always advocated for the industry, do a lot of work in Washington, a lot of work on industry policy issues, work with a, a group called CHLA. I'm a CMB certified mortgage banker, and I love tech. I think's always been sales management, training loan officers, and building tech. So I have Absolute Home Mortgage. We got about 300 loan officers that I manage, the CEO. And then me and my business partner, Joe, we opened up a technology management company, which wound up developing some really cool software called the Big Point of Sale that helps loan officers go out and get more business and streamlines their technology and application processes. Awesome, man. Well, you know, thank you for that quick synopsis. Just real quick. I mean, you've been in this since 2002, 2003. You've obviously gone through now basically two really tough markets. Talk to me about kind of like what you see is, you know, are they different? Are they the same? What are you seeing in terms of those two? And then we can kind of get into maybe some strategies around, you know, getting out of that. But let's kind of just talk yeah, about what you know, your experience is. You, you look at the 23 market compared to the 08 market, and there's huge contrasts, right? Sure. Some people are saying, hey, it's a lot rougher now than it was. Well, sure. our memory's short, right? We forget how bad it was yeah. back then. Yeah. But it's definitely different types of issues. The challenges sure. of 08 that I remember were a lot different than the challenges today. 08 was like a credit crisis, right? We were having trouble getting warehouse lines. We are having trouble getting mortgage programs. We are having trouble with turn times, finding out where to place our loans was a shrinking secondary market. But I don't remember ever having trouble getting business in 08. There was still an ample supply, even though a lot of people are getting foreclosed on stuff, there was still an ample supply of people looking to buy houses. Whereas now it's a little bit of a different market because one, we're fighting two battles here. One is rates, right? right, right. We were in an escalating rate environment. We were in a declining rate environment in 08, right? So that's one obstacle. And the second, the biggest one is these inventory shortages. Right. right? What's going on with our real estate counterparties and inventory shortages? Like we have ample supplies of referrals, ample supplies of business and our clients can't find houses and or right. affordable houses. So that's a different thing. And then you layer on margin compression and the fact that you know the loans are paying a lot less, it creates a lot of struggles for the greater independent mortgage bankers, right? You're seeing that they have to have consolidation. They're having right. layoffs, they're having consolidation. So I think you're seeing a lot less companies just go out of business and collapse like you did last time because there's not as many bad loans, right? We were right. making 
bad subprime loans before, whereas now you have all these regulations and the loans are performing. We have one of the lowest default rates ever seen in the mortgage industry. Our regulators should be really, really happy at what's going on because we're making quality mortgages. It's just the challenges are different. So right. best advice I have for loan officers right now is we just have to weather this storm. You know, what goes up must come down. We came off of some of the best times and the lowest rates we've ever seen. Right. Okay, well, it shot up that way like a mountain peak. It's going to come down just as hard. But guess what? The next market's going to level out a little bit. We just got to wait to see it through. No, I agree. I mean, and that's one of the things that we talk about all the time is that in these markets, that's where, you know, a lot of the growth is made in the next market, right? When it is going to go on the up and up, right? It's like if you're building the foundation, you know, to weather this storm now, like I say this all the time, I'm like, I don't love this market, but forced me to level up. It's forced me to level up my service, me as a leader, you know, sales ability, all these things that like, Maybe we took for granted in the previous market when it was easy to get deals and stuff like that. You know, it forces us to get better. And so on that side of things, I see it as a positive. Obviously, it sucks, right? Like I don't want to go through hard times, but I also do know that the hard times have always led to growth, at least personally for myself. It's always led for me to grow, right? Not always the good times, usually the bad times and the mistakes and the failures that have led to a lot of the, you know, learning lessons that have allowed me to be where I'm at today, right? We might see what happened last time. Oh, eight, we had that licensing kick afterwards with the SAFE Act, and it flushed a lot of bad actors out of the mm -hmm. industry. Well, there may be some originators that can't weather the storm, and they may exit the marketplace. Right. But the ones that can and the ones that find opportunity right now are definitely going to have a better chance of success when the upswing happens. And you know, look at 2021, what happened, 2020 and 2021. You know how many old originators that left the mortgage business all of a sudden flushed back in because there right. was money again? right? Those people may exit and we may have more opportunity in the fact that there's just going to be less originators, right? You know, and it's interesting, a lot of originators will kind of like gear towards in a bad market, like complain about it, right? I've been telling a lot of loan officers, look, when you're thinking about complaining about market conditions, do something else, pick up the phone and dial somebody instead, right? Phone yeah. and referral applications still work. You'll find people that want to buy houses. Agreed. And we say the same thing is like, you talked about inventory earlier. And so a lot of complaints are like, we already have pre-approvals. It's like, get more. What's your other option? Put your head in the sand and hope for these pre-approvals to close or get more pre-approvals so that you can hopefully get one of these in the contract. It's a numbers game. It used yeah. to be three to four pre-approvals to an application or closed loan, right? Now it's 10. Right. It hurts a little bit. It's volume by numbers. So now you got to get 10 referrals to every, the four referrals you used to get. Right. Right. I used to have this like five, five, five strategy. Five top producers, five real estate offices, five days a week, right? If you had five different accounts, you can visit each one of them one day a week and it would produce five loans a month, right? Now it's like a 15x strategy, right? You almost need 15 decent accounts to close five transactions a month. You just have sure. to work three times as hard. But if you do it now, the payout's going to be 18 months from now, right? Right. Or you can give up. That's an option too. And that's okay. I'll be honest. That's okay. For the people who want to get out, get out. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 well, exactly. No, but it's true. Like if you're not willing to put up with this sort of a market, like, you know, I don't know. To me, this is the market where the strength comes from. That's what's going to allow us to set the foundation for the next market. So, you know, obviously I don't love it. People say they love it, but it's like, I don't love it. But I do look at the silver lining of a market like this and see, you know what? There's opportunity coming around the corner and there's opportunity now just to improve. No, I was going to say, at one point, we all made the decision to make the mortgage industry our career, right? right. I'm sure there's a point in your life, in your career, you said, you know what, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Well, if you find yourself where you made that decision already, then you have to understand that the industry and career you chose is a peak and valleys industry. 
Right. And you can't ride too high on the high and too low on the lows. You got to find that middle ground. So hopefully you weren't an originator that said, "Oh wow, I'm making you know five six hundred thousand dollars a year plus now. This is going to continue forever. I'm going to go buy a Ferrari." Right. We learned that and saw people do that in the last crash, and then they went belly up. The smart originators, you know, put the money away and said, "Okay, we know that we're in a variable industry, and I'm going to have to prepare for the next one." Right. So you got to just know the business that you're in, know it's going to be ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, definitely one of the industries that has the most drastic ups and downs, doesn't it? I mean, you know, from 2000, you know, 20 and 21 to now 2023, such a big shift and obviously the biggest shift we've ever seen. But it's pretty interesting, the different perspectives. And I even remember in 2020, I remember someone saying they moved from the retail to the broker side and like, I doubled my business by going to broker. And I'm like, no offense, dude, but like everybody doubled their business this year. Yes. <laughs> and he got all bent out of shape and unfriended me. So that was, <laughs> I was just stating the truth because it's like, yeah, like, you know, you didn't have to try very hard. And there was a lot of people that got humbled, including myself, right? Like, you know, I got humbled thinking I was the best and, you know, come to find out, okay, well, you know what, it was just an easy market and, you know, yeah, I was good, but I need to get better, right? You know, unfortunately. Yeah, but take solace in the other side of that, right? If your business got cut in half this year, which a lot of originators did, yep. it's not you, it's the market. It yep. may not be something that you're doing wrong. It may not just be something that your company's doing wrong. It's just you're in that market. So, right. you know, just like your business didn't double because you're a phenomenal originator, there's market conditions, and maybe it was because you were selling rates at three or 2.875%, cut in half but you're selling rates at seven and a half, eight percent It's not you, it's the market. You're still doing good. Yep, exactly. Exactly, 100%. So, so all, right. all this craziness going on, right? Then all this other stuff layered in, like the counterparty NAR issues right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was just going to bring up was, you know, the NAR lawsuit and then obviously, you know, the following lawsuits now that have all been filed after that verdict of that one came out. And so talk a little bit about that because, you know, I was talking with someone the other day about that lawsuit and I was like, yeah, I don't know if it really affects, you know, loan officers all that much because it's obviously, you know, directly tied to real estate agents or realtors really specifically. So talk a little bit about how the NAR lawsuit and sort of the subsequent lawsuits are one going to affect or you know what your thoughts are and if they're going to affect the mortgage market or loan officers as a whole. Yeah. So let's talk about the basis of the case first, right? Basis of the case is that sellers sued class action. And what happened was they're saying, hey, as a seller of the property, I shouldn't have to buy a buyer agent commission. I shouldn't right. have to pay, right. I shouldn't right. have to for somebody to negotiate against my best interests. Right. right. I should have choice. The five, six percent listing model where the listing agent paying for the buyer agent commission should be the seller's choice, right? So we were talking a lot before while the lawsuit was in court and after it got certified as a class action of what will come of this if it gets certified, if it goes through. Now that it went through, now we have to go and look at possible variable outcomes. So let's first talk about the most likely outcome. The most likely outcome is it's going to be a little bit of business as as usual for right now. It's going to probably be a disclosure issue, okay? Mm -hmm. Where when a listing agent goes to pitch somebody to sell their house and be their listing agent, they're going to present a contract in front of them and it's going to have two columns now and it's going to say, okay, this is my 3% I charge for being your listing agent. Now there's this other column, buyer agent. You got to choose zero, one, two, and 3%. What I think is going to happen initially the listing agents are going to say to the sellers, it's a smart idea to go and check buyer agent commission. And the seller is right. going to say, why? And the listing agent is going to say, because then you're going to have more competition on the house, more buyers coming in, that's going to create bidding wars. And then you have a higher likelihood of your house selling over because there's more competition 
on the property, you might sell 10% over asking, right? Versus for paying that two or 3% buyer agent commission, right, right. right? Something you may want to do. But what I get concerned about is this concept, Luke, I have of a savvy seller. They're savvy people. And I like to say that all it takes is a couple of TikTok videos and Instagram reels. Right. See them of people saying, did you know when you sell your house, you don't have to pay the 3% buyer agent commission? And a savvy seller coming out and saying, you know what? The market's a little bit different now, Luke. I think the house sells the house. I think that buyers find it on Zillow right? And they're so desperate for a house, they'll find it whatever method they need and come directly to you. So a savvy seller, let's look at this option. What happens if a seller goes to their listing agent? You know what? I don't need marketing. I don't need postcards. I don't need magazine ads, right? I need you to take some pictures, throw up a listing description, put it on the MLS, and I'm paying you 3%. I want you to field the buyer offers. And I want you to field them. And if the buyer has a buyer agent, then they can pay their own buyer agent. What can happen in that savvy seller scenario is now listing agents start gaining more control of the transaction because the sellers are forcing them to. And now right. that cuts out the buyer agent. And that's where I start seeing counterparty risk for loan officers. If the savvy seller scenario pays out and buyers have to negotiate directly with buyer agents, well, now this creates a little bit of an issue. One, think about your first-time buyer market, which is a large basis of consumers right now that are paying the higher rates to get into houses. Well, typically, loan officers deal with buyer agents. That's the sure. lifeblood of our business. Right. I'm sure you've seen it yourself. We'll go to networking events, and I'll introduce myself to an agent. They're like, oh, I'm a listing agent. There's nothing you can get out of me, mortgage guy. Right. And they put up like this natural barrier because right. they're listing agents. Right. Right. So I've always gone after buyer agents because buyer agents control the leads. Right. Well, now, if listing agents are dealing with more buyer direct, right? If listing agents are dealing with more people, their buyers are coming directly to them. We as loan officers need to figure out a way to forge relationships with listing agents. We'll get into a couple of solutions on that later. What about these buyer agents? What's right. going to happen? with these buyer agents, because think about that first-time buyer scenario for a second. I can typically get a first-time buyer with an FHA 3.5% down program. Let's say it's like a $300,000, $350,000 house. I can get them in with a mixture of seller concessions for like right. under 20, 25 grand all in. I can get them right. into the house. Right. But now, if you have a buyer, right, and a buyer finds a house on Zillow, and Luke, let's say you're the buyer agent, and I call you and I'm like, hey, Luke, I want to see this house. And you're like, yeah, Matt, no problem. But before I show you the property and invest time into you, you need to sign an agency agreement with me. And the agency agreement says that you're going to pay me 3% or 2% or whatever it is. And if the listing that you're offering on doesn't offer a buyer agent commission, that's coming out of your pocket. That just increased the cost, five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 for that buyer. They may not have the money to do it. Right. I see a lot of value in buyer agents. Actually, in seller markets, I think buyer agents are more valuable. Why? Because right. they have the ability to negotiate, get your offer pushed to the top, relationships with listing agents. But you may not have people that can actually afford to pay it. Right. What happened is you could see some level of realtor infighting. What does that mean? Just like loan officer infighting happens where I'm sure you dealt with it, where you quote somebody on an LE, you prequal them, you work with them over three, four months, 
And then you get to contract the rate shopping you and another loan officer can swoop in and steal that deal right. for a lower rate. And unfortunately, our consumer, we like to say they're loyal, but they're kind of loyal to their rate and the lowest payment. Well, the same thing could happen with realtors where you might see realtor infighting where the lower producing real estate agents now have a little bit of a competitive advantage because they're willing to work for less. Right. You see buyer agent fixed fees come in where you have a buyer agent saying, look, I'll represent you for 2,500 bucks, right? Rather than a full 3%, I'll represent you for 1% and you could see price competition. Now where there's trailing risks that we have to be concerned with that is there's a little bit of a regulatory layer I need you to think about. Last December, FHA released a mortgage e-letter and we thought it was gonna be a big deal and it wound up being kind of a nothing burger. It said that the proxy was lifted. The concept that on FHA, a realtor couldn't be a loan officer on the buyer on the same right. deal. Right. And FHA came out and said, no, we're good with it. But what we learned in the wake of it was there wasn't this mad dash of agents to become loan officers. We learned that loan officers like being LOs and realtors like being realtors. But now in the wake of the Barnett lawsuit, Think about this. If realtors are only making a third of the buyer agent commission, they may start looking at other ways to fill that gap sure. in commissions. And they may look at a hybrid model of saying, you know what? I'm going to go pass an MLO test. I'm going to bundle my services. I'm going to be a realtor LO hybrid. And you may see agents start treading into the loan officer territories too to fill that gap of commission. Hey, I can make 100 basis points alone if I train as a loan officer and do both. You know, that's another thing that you can look at. You can look at that as a threat or you can look at that as an opportunity, right? Depending on how you look at it. You could right. be building teams of agents underneath of you, right? And figuring out proper compliant ways to do that structure and do like a team aspect, if you will. There's a respite implications, of course. You know, sure, sure. Way. So yeah, those are a couple of different avenues, right? Where if the listing agents start getting more control, we have to figure out how to forge more inroads of listing agents, right? Sure. As officers and buyer agents start getting minimized. We have to think about how they can actually tread into our territory. And there's some other regulatory implications and regulatory red tape that I've been hearing out of NAR and the realtors too. They're like, oh, we're going to go lobby FHFA to go finance the buyer agent commission. Sure, sure, well, sure. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing too. Yeah. One, be careful what you ask for because the current administration and FHFA, when you go look at it, their focus is on low cost housing, low to moderate income, first time buyers, and getting the underserved into home ownership. Right. Going to them and saying, hey, we're going to now finance 3% of top line over 30 years is probably not a good idea. I don't think they'd be good for it. And also, let's be smart about this. There's already a vehicle to do it now. If you want to finance it, you don't need to lobby FHFA to do it. Just leverage a seller concession. Right. If $300,000 offer, bring it up to 309 and roll the buyer agent fee into the seller concession. And you can get that done now in the construct that's already within guidelines. And yeah, it's still finance, but we're not shedding light on that scenario. Because what sure. I get curious about is if we start talking about financing these fees, well, what happens if it starts getting rolled into the total points and fees calculations? Now it could tread into total points and fees, QM, right? offsetting loan officer application fees, upfront points and fees, title costs, right? And start really driving consumers up and make QM mortgages harder to qualify. So a couple of things that we should think about there. Yeah, there's definitely some implications. And, you know, I've been hearing the same thing around, you know, just financing it. And when we bought our house back in 2015, we did a bit over ask strategy because we didn't have the money for the closing costs, right? We had the down payment amount, but not the closer. We bid, I think, nine or 10 grand over ask. 
and uh, the only concession of cover yeah exactly so the only thing was the contingency was like if it didn't come in at value we were gonna have to come up with money that we didn't have so that was gonna be fun so luckily it came in you know at value which it generally does right you know when you're putting the price as long as you're not overinflating it or whatever but now think if you have to pay the buyer agent commission because the seller is offering it now that's off the table to roll that in so which would lead to more out-of-pocket expenses for first-time buyers so you know there is a lot of concerns that i have with the low to moderate income of first-time buyers that this may have trailing risk in effect my biggest concern is loan officers right we have built a business of going after buyer agents so if there's something that affects our buyer agents pockets it produces counterparty risk for loan officers and gotcha. we have to take that into account yeah that makes sense i mean i'm a big proponent of loan officers bringing their own value and bringing their own buyers and stuff like that but yes you know on top of that it's like hey creating this as leverage so that they can go out and get more buyers agents really at the end of the day it's to get more referrals is yep. to create leverage right to get more referrals but yeah i mean you know if they're not able to do that can cause a lot of issues from that perspective. We'll see what ends up happening, what boils out, because you're right. I mean, you know, affordability is already tough in almost every market. I live in San Diego and like our median price point is I think 980. That's our median listing price point right now. It's $980,000. A million dollar house isn't what it used to be. No, 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 it's not. A a million dollar house. Like you thought when you were high school, if I bought a million dollar house, you thought it was going to be this mansion. Mansion. Now it's a three bedroom ranch. Hey, well, depending on where you're at. I mean, you know, in San Diego. Yeah. I mean, if you're in maybe some areas in Texas, you might have a mansion. So, you know, it just depends on where you live, but yeah, it's wild, right. To think and like, yeah, I mean, affordability is already a problem in almost every single market, right. Other than like some of the lower costs, but even then, like most of those people are making less of those lower cost markets also. Right. And so that's going to be a huge thing because you're right. I mean, it was already hard to scrape up, you know, 15 grand. Most people don't have, you know, over 10 grand saved up in their bank account as it is, but to have 30, $40,000 just to buy a house with FHA, not even like a conventional, like anything like that, it's a little hairy. So it's funny you say that because that's what I actually think is going to be the determining factor here is consumer choice. The consumers are going to dictate how this lawsuit is going to play out. Will sellers be willing to pay the buyer agent fee? That's question one. Then the second right. question is if sellers aren't willing to do that, Will buyers be willing to pay the buyer agent fee? I don't know the answers to those two questions. That's why I said it. I think it's going to be business as usual right now. But over the next year or two, we're going to see based on how consumers adapt and how consumers are educated on the issue. What I'm hoping for is it's business as usual, that sellers will see value in buyer agents and they'll opt to check those boxes. And then we don't have that much to worry about. But I do think that since it's so instrumental to our loan officers, we have to prepare. Because sure. some of the things we're bad at at an industry and originators, one thing is change management. We just don't right. like change. We're right. very set in our ways. We like the systems that we have. We like our marketing platforms. We like going out to our standard networking. We like our nice, stable business market, right? And being able to go get our referrals, write our pre-approvals, convert them into deals and get our commissions checks. And that might be where we might have to see a lot of change that the systems, the tools, the prospecting, right? And this is where my tech stuff that I work on really comes into play, Luke. We're developing really cool tech right now as solutions for loan officers. We needed to develop new ways for loan officers to go deal with listing agents, right? So one of the systems we're working on is really, really cool. It's an offer management system. We converted the point of sale technology over and we created workflows 
that listing agents can actually put links in the MLS that says submit an offer directly to me. Oh, wow. And it'll intake the offers and put it into like a, a web-based CRM. You can partner up with a loan officer and then the loan officer can go vet the offers. So if a listing agent now has to field 20, 30 consumer direct offers, okay, now what's going to happen is the loan officer can say, hey, I have a system to give you to do this. And here's the deal. Only one of those offers is going to buy that house, right? The other 15 or 20 that come in, I have a shot at pre-approving them and get more top line management. So you're going to see new tech get introduced, right? We also need to help buyer agents provide new value too. Right, right. So it's funny, like when you look at the point of sale marketplace and the point of sale technology, over the past 10 years, it's now become normal for a loan officer when they get a referral to trigger out a text message with their online application link. That created a multi-billion dollar point of sale market. Right. It's now normal. And LO gets a referral, they trigger their link out, they do the application online. And now the first 30 minutes with your customer is not what's your name, what's your social. It's, hey, let me tell you what we can do for you. Well, when you look at real estate agents, they don't have vehicles and tools like that traditionally. When a real estate agent gets a referral, they're usually writing it down on the back of the napkin, right? They're like, okay, what area you're looking in? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? What price range? They don't have a system for that. So what we're really focusing on is collaboration systems that hmm. where loan officers can stop asking referrals and start empowering their realtors with tools like a realtor point of sale offer management system where we can train our realtor counterparties on, hey, here's a new application style that will offer more value from introduction of the client. Let's nice. partner up. Let me help you work these leads. Let me help you convert them. Let's work inside of a singular system rather than working inside of separate systems. And I think that's going to help a lot if the loan officers can change and, and adapt to some new tech. I agree. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, as an industry, unfortunately, the majority of loan officers are not providing much value beyond doing their job well. Unfortunately, they've also brainwashed realtors into thinking that's okay. You know, it's like, oh, it's okay. They close on time. They answer their phone. Like, they should do that anyway. <laughs> Why is that expectation? Like, you should be yeah, bringing more value. A gold trophy, great service, right? For that doing should, your job. That, like, that should be a standard. Do, do you, do you want to be top 20% or do you want to be top 1%? That's the question, right? Like, because top 20%, they're going to be okay. Yeah, like you don't have to do much to be top 20%. You just have to do the fundamentals. Yep, but to be true. top 1%, like you have to do things that are better. You have to bring value. Like how else are you bringing value? Most people, like when you ask them, what's your value proposition? It's like, oh, well, I answer my phone. I have good rates. I close on time. Yep. Again, that's not value. That and is doing your job. Out in the next coming market is going to be the LO that comes in right after him and says, oh, what's my value approach? Listen, I have great rates. I have great service, but I don't consider that value. I consider yep. that the bare minimum. Yep. Let me show you how we're going to work and close more deals together. You're yep. making less per transaction. So my goal to service your account is to 3X your volume. Let's right. the systems and the technology you're going to have. Let's start with open houses. We got to do business with real estate agents. Hey, do you ever see an open house how the sign-in process works? They come in, they fill out their name on the sign-in sheet. At the end of the open house, the realtor throws the sign-in sheet in the backseat of their car and the loan officer never sees it, right? Well, how about this? Let's introduce sign-in systems. Instead of a sign-in sheet, we have some technology with some QR codes. Every person that checks into the open house, they have to scan the QR code. If you don't want to scan the QR code and give me your information, you can't come in and check the house. Inventory shortage allow us to put up more guards that the customers have no choice. You don't want to put your information into the system? Well, then I got 15 people behind you that will. Right. But now if that goes into a system rather than a sign-in sheet, and now the loan officer and the realtor can collaborate and work those leads, now you're showing real value. We're going to use your listings to bring in the transactions. 
And then once we have those transactions, I'm going to step in and I'm going to work really, really hard on those leads and convert them. And you're going to have real-time tracking of me converting them. You know, that's the type of stuff these LOs need to work on because if they want to set themselves apart, they're going to have to do that. And you know what? That's going to be really hard. Because again, LOs don't like change. They don't like learning new stuff. But the guys that can change, adapt, leverage their tech, right? They can do that. They're going to be the ones that come out of this on the other side as the next gen of top producers. Agreed. And interesting is I see new LOs entering the market are a lot easier to mold into the new generation of tech yep. and get out of the old bad habits than the old generation of loan officers. If you're a loan officer and you're still taking a 1003 on a piece of paper and then running that back to Encompass, okay, to go do a data input, you got to really look inside and say, hey, I got to change my business, right? I got to adapt. While I'm not slammed with transactions, now's the time to start training on the new tech. If you're not using verification of income, verification of asset, day one certainty systems for your customers to sync their bank statements from their phones, sync their pay stubs, you're still going to paper collection processes. You got to take a look at your workflows and your systems and get it up to speed now. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind because that's going to be the next generation. It's going to be how to do more volume at less stress of your clients, less stress on your realtors, more transparency right? Because our commissions aren't going to be as high and we're going to have to do more transactions. That's funny because you said that. I mean, I agree. I mean, you think about like Canada, I think like they top out at about a hundred basis points commission for a deal, right? So they're making a lot less, but they're doing a lot more volume typically per person. They also don't have, you know, 42 different programs and all that kind of stuff. They pretty much, you put 20% down and that's about all you get. Right. That being said, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we've got to think about AI technology and how much it's grown over the last year and how many people are still not embracing it, still think that it's not going to replace loan officers. And I don't think it's going to fully replace loan officers, but it's going to make loan officers that embrace technology, AI, you know, really not AI yet. I mean, large language models and things like that, right? It's embracing those things is going to make people more efficient. Like I've been using multiple platforms to put out content, to edit videos, to streamline workflows, to analyze videos, to analyze scripts, to create scripts, like things that would have taken hours before are taking me three to five minutes, yeah, right? Look, a lot of loan officers can't write a properly formatted email. Right, that too. A properly formatted offer. Spin up a ChatGPT account, and before you send any email, just copy and paste it in ChatGPT and let it just edit your work. Make yourself look a little bit more professional. Yep. Those resources and tools, you're going to be able to do more with less when you adopt the technology, or you can reject it, right? I don't think loan officers are going to be replaced. I'm adding I agree. There's a couple reasons why. One is every day, no matter how long I'm in the industry, I have a scenario come across my desk I've never seen before. Right. You know, that always happens that there's some type of crazy new loan or new scenario. The second thing is, you know, loans are very complex. The FHA multifamily, three and a half percent down with four borrowers needs a human body. Where loan officers do have to be concerned is the 740 FICO, 50 LTV, rate and term refinance with an appraisal waiver. Yep. That's the loan that probably can go through with it without touching anybody, anybody touching it in the future, right? That's where I'm going to have my concern. But there's always going to be hard loans for the human bodies to work on. It's about how you're going to adapt to that marketplace that's going to be essential. Because think about this, you know what I'd be concerned about if I was a purchase LO? Going back to that lawsuit, that savvy seller situation, Buyers go directly to listing agents, and listing agent says, oh, to submit an offer, you need to be pre-approved. Now there's no buyer agent to say, oh, need to get pre-approved? Here's my guy's card, right? 
Here's my loan officer's right. card. Right. What happens if the customer starts going to Google and says, oh, I need to get pre-approved? You have a whole consumer direct sector that's struggling a lot worse than the purchase retail sector is now. And they may start tapping in. And if you wind up seeing those buyers start going directly to the internet to shop for pre-approvals, you could see the emergence of consumer direct in the purchase game now. And that's going to be a lot different for retail LOs because of the commission structure. These CD guys are used to making 15 to 35 basis points alone, not 75 to 200. Right. Well, and... They're better salespeople. Let's just be honest. They're better sales. They know how to, they know how to pitch. Maybe not better at structuring loans. They're not maybe better loan officers, but they're better sales because they're trained. I mean, guess what? Like they're taking leads all day long with cold people that have no idea who they are, right? Like they know how to sell. Higher, higher volume, higher yep. pace, right? At a lower cost. Right, right. Because they have to. I mean, at the end of the day, they have to close 30 loans a month in order to make, you know, a decent income versus, you know, a loan officer self-sourcing could probably close three or five loans and probably make a similar amount of money, right? But that being said, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. And if you go look, you know, at real estate, if you Google real estate and stuff like that, most of the listings now are coming up as mortgage related listings, yep. right? Like it's a lot of the rocket mortgages and the veterans United. And those guys are the ones that are advertising the biggest, right? Not as much as the real estate, like kind of has been. So it does feel like there is a bit of the shift towards the consumer direct. That's one of the things we talk about a lot is like, Hey, like you need to have some sort of consumer direct strategy, whether it's buying leads, marketing your own stuff, doing TikToks and reels and having a consumer facing brand on YouTube or something like that. But there's gotta be some way that you can get directly in front of consumers so you can control part of that process. The other thing that you talked about was now listing agents, they're gonna wanna get paid more because now they're doing the job of two people. So what's gonna happen is all of a sudden listing agents are just gonna start charging 6% again. And they're like, I'm just gonna take all 6%. 5% listing agent yeah. and think, well, if you want me to feel bold, you know, it's going to be 5%. Right, but agreed. So it goes back to who's going to do it for less. The listing agent that says, if you want me to do more work, I'm going to charge 5 or 6% to do both sides of the deal. Agreed. You might not have another listing agent that's struggling and doesn't have a lot of listings saying, listen, I'll do both sides for 3% because 3% is better than no percent. Right, right, so agreed. it's going to be really interesting to watch what goes down on the real estate sector. And then if you go look at all these other lawsuits that are coming up to you might see a whole other thing go on where if every state starts getting one of these class actions, I don't know how NAR or the real estate brokerages can afford to pay these settlement bills. Right. Because now that's case law that that lawsuit went through, that verdict went through. You can only expect that other cases are going to settle the same way. Sure. You know, that tab wasn't light. That was like a billion dollar plus. It was like 1.8 billion, I think. <laughs> it was 1.8 billion. You know, we've seen fines in the banking sector of billions of dollars, and it just seems like the banks have been able to take it on the chin. Right. This is the first billion dollar real estate settlement that I've seen, and that was only in one state. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. The NAR lobby is one of the best lobbies in the nation. I mean, they're the ones I think they spend the most out of any other lobbies. Let's just even talk about, you talk about infighting. Sorry, they call this ethics. In my opinion, that's just competition. You're not allowed to like compete with someone else as a real estate agent. Like that's crazy. To me, that's crazy. There's no other business in the entire world that the other company down the street can say, hey, I'll do it for a little bit cheaper. Nowhere. Only in real estate can you say, oh no, I'm already working with a real estate agent. You're not allowed to solicit my buyers. That to me is wild and probably one of the reasons why this thing is here, why this whole case well, that, is here. That was an argument in the case. If you go, you know, look at some of the court, you know, rulings that was going on, they're arguing that is an anti-competitive structure. 100%. There was a monopoly on the structure that 
if you didn't go through this current commission structure that's standardized, they barred you from listing the house on the MLS. And it went into the FISBO sector, your house was just not being seen like it right. was the MLS. Right. And that's what this whole entire anti-competitive, anti-free market, you know, sector of the case came from. So I agree with you that, you know, consumers should have choice. There should be free market competition. And that's really what's going to drive the prices down. And you know what we really need? We need some inventory in the market. Right. Maybe if it's cheaper for people to sell, okay, maybe we'll get some more houses. I don't know. I think that rates are really the issue. I don't think people are selling because they don't want to come out of a 3% rate right, right. to a 7.5% rate. Some people on the other side are saying, I think it was an argument in the case that said that this is why more people aren't willing to sell because selling your house, the cost is too high. So it goes back to what I said. Consumers are going to make that decision for us. We're going to see yeah. consumers make the decision. And we'll see. I mean, you know, because I think you're right. I think there's going to be that whole like, well, it's going to be a flat fee then. You're going to pay me 2,500 bucks up front. And you're not going to pay it when I close. You're paying it to me now. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no guarantee of 3%. Yeah, because I got to drive you around. Right. Drive you around. I got to put offers on all these houses. You know, and it's interesting. Like as a consumer, I would pay 2500 or $5,000 for a good buyer agent. I would. Right. I see value in real estate agents, right? I see value in what they do. I don't want to manage or navigate this. I want somebody representing me. Right. I just don't know if I would pay fifteen or $20,000 out of pocket for a no buyer way. agent. Yeah. yeah, agreed. And I'm not saying that what they do is not worth it. I'm saying that the construct of the deal changes, just the consumer's mindset changes. I've never had a problem with a buyer agent and what they make on the deal. The reason is because I wasn't directly paying for it. I was indirectly paying for it in the price of the house. Right. Same thing is I wouldn't have a problem using a seller concession for them to pay for it as long as I had the money to cover my own closing costs. Right. Buyer's back is in the corner and rates are high and prices are high and bidding wars. You're overpaying for a house to begin with, laying a fourth thing on there. Now I got to pay a real estate out of my pocket and that being 3% of the price of the house. I might have to have a choice of going for a lower cost buyer agent, not because I don't see value, because I have no other choice. I don't have right, right. Then we're going to find, you know, there's the bottom of the barrel people or whatever. You know, I guess we don't want to call them bottom of the barrel, but people that are going to do it for less, maybe they have better systems, maybe whatever. I mean, it's like the better.com that came into the mortgage space saying, oh, we're going to charge way less. And then, you know, we saw what kind of happened to that model oh, well, and stuff. So. For what you get, right? Right, you get right. Yeah. And again, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that shake out. So it goes back to what I opened up saying was, I think it's going to be business as usual initially. And then once the dust settles, then we're going to go start seeing all these creative models. Like, you know, we thought going back four or five years ago, like the purple bricks, open door, right, right. all these discount brokerages were going to be extremely disruptive in the market. And they wound up not really making a big impact. Well, maybe now those things may have a segue in potentially with flat fee buyer agent commissions, right? We don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, if anything, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years what happens and you know how it affects the market. And you know, at the end of the day, I think also everybody's going to adjust. I mean, just like Trid coming out and you know any of these you know rules, CFPB rolling out, like we adjust, and the people that want to stick around and you know, do the changes that are required to get business. I mean, we've seen it with even like Facebook or now A2P compliance for text messaging, how you have to change all that email marketing at one point, right? Like, you know, all of these platforms change and you have to adjust, right? Some people get filtered out because they don't want to, you know, go through the changes, but the ones that stay through are the ones that, you know, I think become stronger on the other side. So well, that's what I think when you ask like the loan officer question, will loan officers go away? No, they're not because these are some of the most agreed. versatile and resilient people in the professional sector, right? We have thrown over the past 15 years, 
all this stuff at them, trade, regulation, all this stuff. I say, okay, loan officers have difficulty adapting, but yeah, when they're forced to, they do it really, really well. Right. So they will evolve. They'll adapt. It's just, are you going to be on the side of the people who are adapting or the people that aren't is the question. Right. Agreed. Yeah. With all the technology, I mean, technology is just ridiculous the way that it's moving right now and how quickly it's evolving. I mean, obviously with AI and all that stuff, but real quick, just to kind of, I mean, we're kind of getting to the end here. I don't want to take too long here, but let's talk a little bit about, we're obviously in a tough market. Like you're still out there. You're still originating. You're obviously leading. I think you said 300 plus loan officers at this point. What are some, maybe some strategies or one strategy that you would say right now that a loan officer could go out there and get business today? Work as hard as you can, right? You have to go back to the basics right now. And I'm seeing a lot of people miss that. Yes. We became indoor cats because our phone was ringing during the pandemic and we were selling three and a half percent interest rates and we hung up the phone and five other people were waiting to take an application. We have to get boots on the ground again. We have to go to the networking events. We have to put the time in. We have to pick up the phone. I guarantee you, if you don't have a deal in your pipeline right now, open up your cell phone, okay? Start at A and start dialing down the list. Call every friend and family member you have and say, do you know anybody that's actually buying a house right now? By the end of the day, you'll pick up a deal, right? We are not doing that anymore as loan officers. We're picking up the phone and calling our manager to complain before we're picking up the phone and calling a friend to see who's in the market for a house, right? Right. It's a mindset thing. When you look at your life right now, it's still 95% good. If you ask me, am I in a better financial situation now than I was in 2019? I am. Am I making as much money now as I was in 2020? No. But we're still advanced as professionals, right? We came off one of the best times in our career. There's opportunity out there, but you got to work for it, right? You got to go and find the business and it's there. And more than anything, do not reject change right now. Look at it as a challenge. Don't look at it as an obstacle and do your best to adopt it. If your time isn't built with busy applications and application taking, right? Study this lawsuit, watch webinars, do podcasts, right? It's not always about that next best mortgage program that you're going to have. Oh, okay. Now I can do multifamily 5% down, you know, Fannie Mae loans. That's what's coming out this week, right? Yeah. It's good to be aware of it, but you don't have to become a master of it. Just know it's availability. Right. What you should be becoming a master of is your marketing systems, that AI technology, content, right? Going out and spreading your influence from where you get business. You get business from two main places, real estate agents and past clients and family and friends. That's it. Focus on those groups. You should be in front of them. Don't be in the office, be on the road. But if you're going to be on the road, you're going to need the technology and systems to manage your pipeline and take applications from your phone. See, that's how this all plays in. If you're stuck at your desk because you're stuck to paper and encompass, then you're not going to be able to be on the road and get get business, right? And also get out of your comfort zone, yep. right? Get out of your comfort zone. Go outside of real estate agents. Go to divorce attorneys, right? Go start forging roads with financial planners. You have to go into every sector you can. I tell a joke to my sales team. I said, you know what? I bet if I stood outside a shop right. And I grabbed a couple of bags of oranges and every single person that left ShopRite that day, I handed an orange and a business card to, I guarantee you I get a pre-approval by the end of the day. You probably don't want to do that, right? That's probably not the best use of your time. But if you're that hungry for business, you can find out a strategy, right? 
that would work that you can get referrals out of. There's always a way. Barry Abib says there's money in the streets. He talks about this. He used to say that he, every time he went through a toll booth, he used to give a business card to every toll booth person, even when Easy Pass came out, right? And he used to get a ton of business from it. It's out there. It's just how hungry are you to get it? Love that, man, because I think I was having a conversation with Dustin Allen a while back, and he said something similar. He's like, go to a Home Depot or go to a Lowe's and hand people cards. I guarantee you're going to find He's like, maybe that won't be your strategy forever. But like, he was just saying, this is how simple it really is. Like, And I agree. Like, I don't know if you follow Alex Hormozzi, but he talks about this concept of like, what it takes versus what you think it takes, right? And many times what we think it takes is considerably less than what it actually takes, right? And that's all that matters is what does the market dictate right now that is required for me to get the income that I want? And then we have to put in that effort. And so like, you know, he tells a story about how when he first started his gym, he had talked to one of the mentors and the mentor's like, oh, I'm growing my business with flyers. So he goes out, puts, I don't know, 300 flyers out there. And the guy follows up with him. He's like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, oh, I didn't get anything from it. And he's like, how much did you test with? And he's like, what do you mean test? he's like, we don't test with anything less than, I think he said a thousand. I don't remember the exact numbers, but he's like, oh. And he's like, we send 50,000 flyers out a month. And he's over here sending 300 and saying it's not working. 300 didn't work. Might not even be 10X. It might be 50X of the effort that you have to put in there, right? And you talked about it earlier today too. It's like, hey, it might've been four referrals before for a deal. Now it's 10. You're gonna have to do three, four, five times the work to get the same amount of income or even less income. But that's what's required right now. And unfortunately, there's no way around that. You know, there's a lot of strategies you can go, you can you know, go on social media, you can put content out, you create, you know, attention, all those things. But at the end of the day, they all require work. And you're right. I mean, I think for the last, you know, obviously a couple of years, it was easy. But even prior to that, it was fairly easy to get deals. But you know, the good news is right now, Luke, every deal you close is not one commission. It's two. You know why? Because every deal you're closing today is a refi 12 to 18 months from now. That should honestly always be the mindset. And, you know, before we close out, I interviewed someone from Monitor Base and they talked about the average home buyer buys a home every roughly 11 years based off of all their data. In between that time, they refi twice, right? So there's four transactions from a home buyer on average. So if you're planning on being in this industry for longer than 11 years, like you should be able to get two to four transactions out of every one of these people. And so thinking about this from a long-term perspective, hey, I'm building my pipeline today because this is what's going to feed me in the future. And I, you know, I had Todd Duncan on here as well. And he talked about like, if you have a database like a database can make you a million dollars a year if you just work your database sure that's why you see so many of those top originators on the scotsman's guy top 100 list not the top like 3000 list right when you can look at the common denominators between them usually it's the lowest comp plants they do the highest volume and it's not consumer direct it's just that they're booking deals to get them into the database right undercutting everybody because they're not trying to get 100 125 basis points some of them aren't even taking comp at all. They just have themselves on salary and they're just booking the deals to get the deal closed, win the account, and then look at it and say, now it's in my database. And I'm going to get them three more times over the next 10 years. Right. Right. So I agree with everything that you're saying. You know, that's the best advice we can give originators is it's not as bad as you think it is. Keep your head up, right? Or keep your head down, but make sure you're working when it's down. Make sure right. you're right. up looking for business, right? But work through it. And you're going to get to the other side, right? We just don't let the market conditions affect your mindset. That's the one thing you're in control of. You're not in control of rates. You're not in control of inventory. But you are in control of your work ethic and your mindset. Agreed. Yeah, and that's what we talk about all the time, too. Most of our coaching calls is around that concept of like, stop talking about the rates and the inventory, because the truth is you can't control it. I think it's Stephen Covey's The Three Levels of Control or whatever. He talks about like, you know, he got the things you can control, the things you can influence, the things you can't control. Let's start focusing on things we can't control. 
where it's like we should be spending all of our time, which again, the things we control are pretty much ourselves, like our actions, our attitude, our mindset, our work ethic. We can influence the people around us directly, you know, our salespeople, our realtors, our consumers, all of those things, but we can't make them do anything. Like that's the leading versus lagging indicators conversation. You can control the actions you're taking, but you can't control how many of them close. You can control how many people you ask for the application, but you can't control how many people actually do the application or how many people you can influence those things, but you can't control them. And you, you can't can control, control them to close. Top of funnel lead management, right? Right. Of course. What's coming into the funnel, right? Right. Exactly. Yep. hundred percent. You know, don't take your work home with you, right? Don't let the market affect your home lifestyle because that's not oh, like that. conducive either. I like that. So take that into account. You know how many times we're all going home? How is work? Oh, horrible. Right? Why put that on somebody else in the household? Right. You know, you got to internalize some stuff a little bit too. Yeah, Um, I I agree. I think mindset is key right now. Yeah, mindset. Yeah, I think mindset is always key, but especially right now. It's a huge thing. So, all right. To close out, if someone wants to learn more about your absolute home mortgage or your point of sale mortgage automation technologies. Where can people go find some more information about you and your businesses? Sure. If you ever want to reach out to me, I'm always available on LinkedIn. You can, it's just my name on LinkedIn at Matthew Van Fossen. You can reach out to me on Instagram too. You can go check out thebigpointofsale.com or thebigpos.com. Either of those, that's the software company. You can check out all the new stuff we're doing. We have launched that new agent CRM platform where you can go direct to listing agents. You can go directly to buyer agents with the agent point of sale system. It's only five bucks a lead. That's really, really cool. Or you can go check me out at www.ahmcloans.com. That's Absolute Home Mortgage. You know, like I said, we're independent mortgage banker, do a, a lot of retail branching, really big on the East Coast. Or you can check out any of the regulatory stuff that we work on at the Community Home Lenders of America. Also follow CHLA on LinkedIn, and you can check out the whole regulatory buzz. Man, it sounds like you've done this before. You had it all ready to go, man. Look at that. Nope, just winged it. <laughs> uh, well, hey, you know what? You're good at winging it then. I appreciate your time today, man. This was a fantastic conversation. And like I said, man, I was talking about what's it called? The NAR lawsuit. And I honestly didn't think it would have that big of an effect. But now as we kind of go through the thought train of what it can affect, it's like, yeah, there could be some pretty big implications in the future, yeah. you know, when it comes to that and some shifting in technology. Don't have the mindset of that's a realtor thing. It doesn't affect us. What affects them affects us. Right. Right. They're business partners. Yeah, they're our business partners. So the best thing to do, I'm not saying any of this is going to happen, but it could happen. And that's the best thing is hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's always what we want to do is like, we don't want to put our head in the sand and pretend things aren't happening. Because I think that's the worst strategy. And I think that's what we actually saw a lot of loan officers do for the last 12 months, 18 months is like, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. March of May of 2023, it's going to get better. Right. And then that so came hope, and went. Hope is not a strategy, brother. That is yeah, not a Yeah. Yeah. Hope marketing, man. Hope marketing is what I call it when people are hoping people come and see them because they're such a great loan officer. They're such yep. a great person. It's like, man, that unfortunately doesn't work that way. You got to tell people. So, yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaways from today, obviously, is that the NAR lawsuit is probably going to affect us outside of that. You know, we talked a lot about mindset. We talked a lot about, hey, you know, in this market, we're going to have to work harder. We're going to do more. And that's okay because, you know, the people that do stick around are going to win. So, man, I appreciate you being on and sharing your wisdom. And, you know, that was fantastic. Thanks, Luke. Awesome, man. Hope to come back soon. Awesome, man. And for anybody who's listening to this and are looking for some strategies on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.